1: Listening to the Red Seat Podcast. Red Sox fans have long to
0: hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions.
1: Hosted by
0: Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's in the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz! David Ortiz! David Ortiz!
1: Featuring Keaton DeRoscher and Bob Osgood.
2: Sale wines, he fires. Twins! Welcome back to the Red Sea Podcast. This is your host Jake Devereaux and today I am joined by Keaton DeRocher and Bob Good of Over the Monster for episode 286 of the show. Uh, Gentlemen, uh, I hope you both had a great 4th of July. Um, Did any of you gentlemen uh, like fireworks off and if so do you still have all of your fingers i didn't light
1: fireworks but i did slice my thumb pretty well today uh cutting an apple for lunch and then that was a great time to realize that i was out of band-aids so i wrapped it in a paper towel and electrical tape
2: wow that's pretty good yeah how did that work out for you
1: it worked out just fine, um, and then I GoPuffed some band aids, so I only had to do that jankiness for like an hour.
2: Excuse and me, I, what is a GoPuff?
1: Oh, do you not live in like a normal society where you can like <laughs> have a convenience store deliver
3: through an app?
2: I have never heard of GoPuff, but you know I am a Same. bit of a luddite, so I don't know.
3: I do have the ability to have that delivered, but I don't know what the hell a GoPuff is.
2: GoPuff is great.
1: I, I use it quite frequently.
3: Okay. All right. So it's a, it's one of these
2: delivery services. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, Bob, you, you got your digits over there?
3: Yeah, that was the word I was going to use. All the digits are there. All the limbs are there. There's no uh, Jason Pierre-Paul, Jose Canseco, insert celebrity that... Blew some fingers off. No, I just watch fireworks. I can't be doing that stuff.
2: No, you don't want to. You don't want to be shooting any Roman candles off at anybody. No, uh, not these days. Anyway, we're too old for that. But anyhow, we've got a packed show for you here. Uh, and since we all have our digits, we were able to do some research um and uh we're gonna start off with some big injury news uh, garrett whitlock was placed on the aisle with a bone bruise in his elbow uh, the good news here is that it doesn't seem to be very serious there's no ligament or nerve damage but the bad news is that the red sox uh now have just three healthy starting pitchers uh, and you're supposed to have at least five of those So I thought it would be a good time for us to revisit the idea of Garrett Whitlock as a starter and Garrett Whitlock as a reliever. So as a starting pitcher uh, over two seasons, 39 innings pitched in 2022, 51 and two-thirds in 2023, he's got 90 and two-thirds innings total, and his ERA over that time is 4.76. And this year, it's actually much worse than it was last year. Uh, it's 5.23 this year. It was 4.15 last year. He hasn't been very effective as a starting pitcher. However, uh, if we look at his innings totals as a reliever, uh, in 2021, he had 73 and a third innings with a 1.96 ERA. Last year, 39 and a third with a 2.75. That is... Comes out to 112 and two-thirds innings with a 2.24 ERA. Let me start off with you, Keaton. I know we were kind of hemming and hawing about what his role should be on this team heading into 2023. Um, is, Is this enough of a sample size for you, especially with his injury history, that you think that his role should be in the bullpen going forward, or are you still on board with him as a starter?
1: um oh boy um you know i really feel like at this point it depends on what the makeup of the actual pitching staff looks like heading into the season and then they can kind of determine it from there also i think it depends on how tanner halke looking as well uh which kind of plays into that whole philosophy as well um if they need him to be a starter, I think they should try and use him as a starter. If somehow heading into next year they manage to have uh, a staff that is uh, already like fully chalked with five starters and they don't need him to be a starter and they can use him in the bullpen, I'd be fine with that. Um, I th- to me, I think I'm not really sold either way. I think they should just use him and get the most out of him. Um, But it it seems like they, it keeps kind of going back and forth, partly because their injuries are partly because of just the need of the team. Um, But they keep kind of not being able to fully commit one way way or another. Um, And I think the makeup of the pitching staff would go a long way to having that settled. They actually have a, like this year, they actually had a bullpen. So they were like, okay, we can, Kind of commit to him being a starter um but then his own injuries and injuries to the, the pitching staff and some of um that kind of changed the way that they were going to go about this so if they can basically kind of have a, a more solid plan and more uh solid depth so that they don't have to then change their plan if someone else gets injured and then they have they, they all of a sudden need him to be in a different role then I would just kind of like to see a full season of him um, being one thing versus kind of a multi-use pitcher. Um, But really, I just want to see him out there throwing good innings. And I'm kind of like, however they need to do that, I'm cool with it. So however they need to use him, I'm okay with it. I'm not really sold one way or another.
2: Well, Bob, I know that you feel a lot stronger about this, or at least you did, that you felt like he should be a starting pitcher because of the repertoire that he has. So why don't you make the argument that way, if that's still how you feel, or if you changed it, you know, let us know that too.
3: Yeah, I still feel the same way. Um, And I don't know, I mean, he made, outside of the one inning the other day, he made six starts in between. The two injuries there, uh, of course, it's going to get to a point. If he's getting injured three times a year, year after year, then something isn't working, but I'm not ready to say that yet. It sounds like it's a different injury. It's weird to hear that he had a bone bruise, but, I mean, you know, against the Yankees, six and a third, one earned run. Against Colorado, seven innings, two earned runs. Against Minnesota, seven innings, four earned runs, six strikeouts. Working just so efficiently while still having an awesome strikeout to walk ratio like he's striking out more than a batter an inning in those six seven starts there um you know FIP and xFIP fip were about three eight three five to three eight in that time even though his ERA was four seven nine which was mostly inflated from that Miami start and you wonder if he had something going on starting at that Miami start that was the week before when he left the Toronto game He looked really strong in the four or five outings before that, and his changeup looked awesome again. Like, it was back to that kind of peak two years ago changeup, and he was, you know, I don't know exactly in those starts, but he's been using it 25% of the time and the slider 22% of the time, and I, I watch him, and he's a starting pitcher. He has the makeup of a starting pitcher. He has been effective in multiple stints as a starting pitcher you know I don't know what it is with with the arm injuries if they are continuing then it's a problem in general and I don't know you throw him in the bullpen you're not going to be able to use him on back-to-back days it might be like in that Winkowski kind of role I just don't know if that's the most value that he has for the team I also look at the contract they gave him the extensions the club options that just scream starting like you would pay somebody as a starting pitcher or a closer for those amounts. It's three million next year, five the year after, seven the year after, and then two club options at eight and then ten and a half. You know, that contract was built for him to be a starting pitcher, and I think that they're gonna do everything that they can, you know, until they're forced to do something else for him to be that.
2: All right. Um, I'm glad you stuck with your guns there because I'm going to go with the opposite direction. This is something that I've flip-flopped on a couple times and I felt like I was in uh, the same spot as Keaton is with this, like kind of based on team need, but I've seen enough now at this point where I'm going to go back and say that I think that Garrett Whitlock should be part of the bullpen. And, you know, I'm going to make this argument in a couple different ways. And one of the ways is with numbers. Um, In 2021, when he was used exclusively in relief, really, um, he didn't make any starts that season. He had his best season by Fangraph's war at 1.6. So he had a 1.96 ERA, 1.6 war. The next year, he was very good as well. He made nine starts, but he was worth 1.4 war uh, that season. And much of his best work actually came out of the bullpen as well. I think that he can be very effective and still earn that contract as a multi-inning reliever. If you go back to 2021, you know, he's 25 years old coming off of that Tommy John surgery. Out of the 46 appearances that he made, 28 of those were for longer than one inning. So he was truly a multi-inning weapon, a guy who could go, you know, if you needed him to go one and two thirds or if you needed him to go three innings in a game, he could stretch out and do that for you and do it. Effectively, and I think that um, the contract numbers that you just mentioned, Bob, you know, those are contract numbers that would be pretty inexpensive for a starter, but contract numbers that would be really for like a really good reliever. You know, like we we see some of the best relievers in the game. I'm thinking of like Kendall Graveman or some of the deals that Kenley Jansen has gotten, and some of the other really valuable relievers. There aren't too many relievers that approach like the two war area. Um so I think that, you know, he could still earn that money pitching out of the bullpen and in that multi-inning role and I think that that role um might be the best solution for him staying healthy and him being on the team.
3: Yeah. I, you know, I don't think that it's a crazy thought from either of you there and I get it get both sides it is becoming probably a little more difficult to make the argument but um I don't know that's I I I think there's another year of injuries like this and you know just the amount of time needed to ramp up I I understand that but I don't know I I still see a starter when I watch him pitch and I think it's a great need for this team but You know, next year, as Keaton said, it could be a different group. They could bring in a couple of different starters and Paxton is extended and Bayo is doing what he's doing. And, you know, maybe it's a there's a certain fit for a certain team. I certainly wouldn't rule it out. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be something to watch. um, Definitely.
2: But let's get back to where this leaves the Red Sox, though. So, you know, I mentioned that they only have three starting pitchers. How do they approach this situation? I mean, they can limp into the all-star break with three starters, but when we get back from the break, what are they going to do? Because (laughs) – you know, you can't, you can't survive with just three starters. And as we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show, the pen hasn't exactly been overwhelmingly good. And the news from the injured starters uh, hasn't been, you know, great to the point where we can expect these guys back right after, you know, just to go through a few of those things. Sale has has started playing catch, but he's not close. Houck has no timetable. Um, Cora said Pavetta is not moving to the rotation, so that's not an option. We have a few more bullpen guys on their way back. Uh, John Schreiber is going to start a rehab assignment later on this week. Rodriguez and Blyer are on rehab assignments right now. Not that Blyer is going to be much help. Um, But, you know, Bob, I'm going to go to you first for this one. How do they handle this um, moving forward? And, you know, how do you navigate being down two starting pitchers in an organization that feels pretty drained of starters
3: at this point? So I think if they had a certain schedule that you would say they absolutely have to make a trade at the All-Star break. But for whatever reason, after four days off in the All-Star break, the Red Sox have 11 games in 14 days. They have three off days in the first two weeks coming out of the break. So if they had played 14, 20 days in a row, whatever it is, then of course you're going to need two bullpen games, which is just not sustainable. But you can come out of the break, they have six to start, so you can pitch Paxton, for example, in game one and game six, and a Bayo and a Cutter game in there, and two bullpen games. That six days you certainly need to cover, but you can plan for that, you can kind of reset, you can make a couple of roster moves. Then there's an off day, and then you can go Bayo, Cutter, bullpen day, and then there's an off day, and then you go back to Paxton and back to Bayo, and then there's another off day. So you have 3 games that you have to cover in those 2 weeks rather than, you know, 5 or 6 if you played a bunch of days in a row. So the short answer is they should trade for a some sort of starting pitcher that can get through 4 or 5 innings to give everybody a break unless you want to go with a Murphy and a Walter, you know, I I think that they probably need to make some sort of move to plan for this, but That takes you to July 28th. You're going into a three-game series against the San Francisco Giants, which takes you to the trade deadline. And you probably know on the 28th whether um, you've either traded for a starting pitcher or you're going to sell at that point. And then makes it a little um, easier to kind of bring up some AAA pitchers if that's the direction that you're going to go. So I think they they have a way – they have a path that they can get through this by – utilizing off days a certain way.
2: Well, part of the problem with that strategy, and I agree with you that, you know, the the way that the schedule works out is very favorable to them in this particular circumstance. But a lot of these bullpen games to me have felt very much like they were punting the game, you know, and with they're the terrible. reds, they're awful. They're awful to watch. <laughs> um, the bullpen is not nearly good enough. Um, to successfully navigate these bullpen games. And with the Red Sox being 43 and 43 right now, I mean, they're squarely 500 and they're last place in the division still. Uh, that hasn't changed since the last time we spoke, even with the sweep of the Blue Jays. Um, you know, Bob, I mean, can they really afford to, you know, go with three bullpen games between now and the trade deadline that feel like these? almost guaranteed losses with the way that they're playing right now. Can they afford to do that between now and then? Or you know, are they going to be so far out of it that you really need to trade for a starting pitcher?
3: Well, is Caleb Orr on the team for those games? Because the it's... answer is no, they can't afford to do that if they're bringing him in in the second inning in the bullpen games. And that was just disgraceful yesterday, I thought, with the way that... Bernardino was pitching through an inning in third Um, really just pitching efficiently and getting through the tough part of the Rangers lineup so you bring in Caleb Ort who was unquestionably the worst pitcher in the team and maybe in the organization and the game's out of hand before the third inning and then you go to Murphy who's your long guy it's just the way that they are lining up these opener games there has to be a better way and we're going to talk about some guys rehabbing and all of that, I think the bullpen is going to look a little bit better so that maybe you can align some of your better uh, relief pitchers or your third, fourth, fifth relief pitchers to throw early and go into a bulk guy like Murphy for three or four innings. Um, But it can't be what they did yesterday. It can't be Caleb Ort ever again. Um, But no, I, I mean, as I said at the beginning, they can do this and cork and manage it like it's the playoffs for two weeks, but I think that they need they need a starter to make two of those three starts in those fourteen days. I don't know who the hell that is,
1: yeah, I think the kind of as Bob outlined, you can get through those three bullpen games if you need to, but it's kind of like a I think having those extra off days just kind of gives them a little bit more runway to trade for a starter. They still should trade for a starter and bring someone in. I think the weird schedule after the All-Star break just means it doesn't have to happen by the All-Star break. It gives them like a couple extra days, but it still basically should happen. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like it should happen too, especially if they're serious about trying to be buyers at the deadline. You know, I've made this argument last week too, but I think that they ought to be more aggressive um, buying far ahead of the deadline if if they're going to be buyers. Um, But I also want to give a shout out to one of our maybe listeners. I think she's a listener. But uh, Lisa, uh, whose handle is at NevadaBosox or NVBosox, had a great orc tweet um, during the game on, on July 2nd. She just said "fucking" or the human white flag, and I just really got a kick out of it because <laughs> uh, it's just—it's so true, you know. Like whenever he comes into the game, it's just like "fuck," this thing's completely over at this point. There's, there's almost no—they winning coming back. <laughs> yes, but still, <laughs> it's just like it's so true. As soon as you see him, everybody's reaction is just like "fuck."
3: Yeah, it, it was. I couldn't believe when he came running in, just especially with the way that that Bernardino was rolling in those two innings. And it sounded, with the boos and some of the tweets that I saw, that the reaction at Fenway, which was a full cello crowd on July 4th afternoon, was not there in the rain to see Caleb Ort come in in the second inning. That was the vibe that I got.
2: Yeah, I, I don't think anybody wants to pay for Caleb Ort. Um Yeah. It's it's not a good situation. Uh, let's move on from the 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 Caleb Wart stuff to talking about Tristan Casas, and uh, I'm gonna have you guys uh, make a couple different arguments here. So lots of people have been making a stink about Casas not being in the lineup uh, today, uh, especially you know he's uh, it was against a right hander and he was not in the lineup. Um, so Bob. Can you make the argument as to why he shouldn't be in the lineup? And then Keaton, would you make an argument as to why he should be in the lineup? And, you know, this doesn't necessarily mean that, uh, you know, Bob hates Cassis or just Keaton does. loves Cassis. Um, maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. But uh, would you guys go ahead and, and uh, make those arguments? Let's start with you, Bob.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I just was blown away by the outrage on an off day for Tristan Casas today. Um, And I I understand (laughs) that. I mean, you would have thought that, that Alex Cora had had kicked a baby during the, the, the pregame, um, by not putting him into the lineup. I mean, there are a lot of first base outfield DH types that are going to needed bats on this team between Turner and Yoshida and Duran uh, and Duvall um and Cassis and they're going through you know it's why is he sitting against a righty well because they are facing righties the whole week and he has to sit a game somewhere you know they faced Gaussman over the weekend they faced Dunning yesterday they're facing Gray tonight they're facing Evaldi tomorrow they're facing Medina and Blackburn who I believe are both righties that's six righties in a row I mean he's gonna sit one game because everybody has to play you know, if they want to showcase Duvall, right? I mean, they can't trade him right now. He's hitting about, um, he's hitting 154 since coming off the IL and he just sat the last two days with an illness. So, I mean, if they are going to showcase Duvall, then they need to get him some at-bats and they need to get him going a little bit. Um, or if there's a trade for somebody else, same thing. The person that has to play is Jaron Duran right now, especially against a right-hand pitcher. I mean, Jaron Duran has to play, Every game, he's on crazy um, extra base hit streaks, three, four doubles in the same game, running wild, stealing bases. He has to play against righties. Tristan Cassis doesn't have to play against righties. He's not on some crazy heater. He's gone 0 for 8 the last two games. Um, He is the worst defensive run saved first baseman in the entire league. He's the worst outs above average first baseman in the entire league so everybody is citing these offensive stats that Cass has had over the last month he's been better he he's getting on base at a better clip he's hitting like 280 over the last month he's hitting lefties and righties he's been a good hitter but he does not have to be in the lineup no matter what every night when he is screwing up ground balls he's making poor decisions with throws he only has three errors because the score at Fenway doesn't know how to write the letter E and has been giving everything a hit for the entire season. Um, but you look on StatCast, you look on Fangraphs and he is near the bottom. First or second worst in those metrics, which does not mean everything, but everybody is just pointing to the offensive stats and Cassis has been a bad first baseman this year. He doesn't need to be in the lineup every single night. A plus,
2: good job. That was That was serious. All right, Keaton, buckle up. What you got? All right, Bob, <laughs> Mr. Number One Tristan
1: Casas hater, prepare Here to be you. refuted. Point number one the man is 23 years old and still just a prospect who's developing. Number two, we recently just had a conversation with a man who wrote a whole article about his defense and pointed out, as well as the Red Sox coaching staff and the man himself that um, he's never been this bad at the position, even in the minors. It's been just an average defender. Um, getting used to the major league way of defending um, just kind of the, the speed pace of the game um, as a 23 year old prospect, who's still basically developing uh, and has like many years of development uh, he should be getting that playing time because he needs to see all of those plays to develop them. Uh, there's only so much you can do kind of on the side in pre-work, doing the practice. Um, I don't know how much if he, like, like minors is, isn't going to help because he doesn't belong there offensively. Um, this is where kind of the offensive stats come into play. We've seen the offensive stats recover. We've also talked... Um, on this podcast about how, uh, the mental piece of the game really kind of plays a, a big effect. And when one side of the game is struggling, it tends to have an effect on all the others. We saw that with Raphael Tevers when, um, his defense a couple seasons ago started out the year, absolutely awful. It bled into his offense as well. He started the season really, really slow. But then the defense started to turn around and his offense went on a tear and he had like 30 homers in the second half of the season. So he needs to be playing because he needs to see these plays develop. And one of the key things that the Red Sox tend to, I mean, basically not do, is basically have a short leash on their young prospects that need the development time. And then they, they just don't give... the the development time that these guys need because there's always the pressure to be winning right now all the time. And sometimes when that comes to young prospect development, that's a hindrance a big negative uh, because they should have a leash. Like at this point in the season in Dustin Pedroia's rookie year, he's like barely got his average above 200. And I mean, he ends up having a career year that year and you know launching his rookie of the year campaign so sometimes these guys just need time and repetitions to adjust and learn and get there Uh, and defense is also usually the slowest tool to develop so if this is going to be the guy if we're committed to this tristan casas being a core member of this team and hopefully an all-star caliber player we need him to be able to play at least leak average defense at his position in order to do that he needs to see the plays he needs to be able to see them get the reps and then be able to adjust and make the the you know make the plays see it and be, get the muscle memory to get to the development that he needs so the only way he's going to do that is see the plays and make them happen the only way he can do that is play so he's a 23 year old guy who's still developing so he's gotta play, so we can develop.
3: All right. Yeah. I'm in favor of him playing two out of three games. Totally agree. I think he can see a lot of a lot of ground balls, a lot of plays two thirds of the time. So what I'm hearing you say is do you concede
1: that you're wrong and I'm right?
3: No, I
1: That's I'm what I heard. Standing Jake, by the fact that as it's the referee okay to here sit is once team. a week.
3: Am
2: I supposed to pick a winner? Yeah, as the
1: referee here, whose side is correct? Bob, the number one Tristan Cassis hater?
2: Or me, the rational mind. Oh, you're not gonna like this, Keaton. God I, damn it. I agree Jake. with Bob. I, I think Bob has a lot of good points here. And I I do get what you're saying. Like, he's a young guy, he needs to develop, he needs to play. But I also agree with with Bob that like he needs to clean stuff up defensively. And playing time is earned, not given. Um and you know. We see some positive trends, like you mentioned, Keaton. The the he had a good month of June, and his WRCs have gone from sixty in March and April to one hundred seven to one thirty three in June, July. He's a negative twenty eight so far, but July's just started here, so you know, not going to panic too much about that. I think we're seeing the right trends with him. Um, but I'm also like not gonna do any hand wringing about him not being in the lineup one day. I don't, I don't think that's gonna negatively impact his development. I think it's more important like that he's putting in that work, um, not even during games, but in drills and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. Sorry, Keaton. I do, I do think you both had a very well argued uh, point there. But it
1: just makes you the number two Tristan Casas hater.
2: I suppose. I suppose it does. Um, All right, let's get to Josh Winkowski here. Josh Winkowski has been a reliable guy um, for much of the year. I mean, I think it's fair to say he's been one of the breakout um, guys, you know, switching to that leverage role. He was one of these guys that we ticketed for a multi-inning relief role at the beginning of the season. Um, But, you know, he quickly found himself in high leverage situations. And... um, you know he's been pretty good uh, over the course of the season. Um, I got some numbers here um, from April and May, he had a one point or, or April and March, he had a 1.4 ERA. Then in May, his ERA jumped up a little bit, he had a 3.14. Um, but in June and July, he's really struggled a little bit. Um, he's got a 5.73 in June. And in July so far, just two innings, but nine ERA over that time period. You know, he, he's pitched a lot of high-leverage innings. Um, and in fact, this year he's pitched more with runners on base um or in scoring position than he has with the bases empty. Um so he he's gotten a lot of high-leverage work. You know, Keaton, how concerned are you that Winkowski is kind of suffering a little bit from the, uh, you know, the Matt Barnes treatment a little bit that we saw a couple of years ago where Matt Barnes seemed to be used in every high leverage situation because he was kind of the only guy, um, that, that Cora could rely on. I mean, Cora, we we've dogged him for his bullpen usage and we got a question about that today as well. Um, from the surfing guy. He says, strictly regular season wise, do you think Cora is a good bullpen manager? I realize the options are limited, but he never makes a move during a meltdown, always seems to stick with the same guy, and it always means getting the L. So do you think that Cora is relying on Winkowski too much, and that's why we're seeing this downturn from him?
1: Yeah. um, I am worried that that is the case, because it's not only the Matt Barnes syndrome Um, This kind of happens to at least one person in the bullpen like every year because this is pretty much what Cora does. Um, I, I hesitate to say he's a bad bullpen manager, but it is certainly, I think, the weakest part of his managerial repertoire. And I don't think that's a hot take. But I I mean part of it is certainly availability, but I mean we talked about this being like basically the strongest bullpen that he's probably ever had in his managerial career. I mean, even in the, the twenty eighteen bullpen had guys that just kind of put together obscene career years and were were never that level before and have never been that level since. Um so I, I don't feel and it wasn't even really like for full stretches of the season it was like they really kind of like patchworked things together for that that year so I, I hesitate to say that that was even a really strong bullpen but like certainly coming into the year on paper this was the strongest bullpen that Cora was ever going to have to work with and then I mean the injuries have could just kind of continued to catch up like um Jolie Rodriguez I mean he's been hurt but it also hasn't been the guy that we wanted or hoped. Um, Schreiber has been good, but hurt. Um, Jansen obviously has been good, but Chris Martin has been good, but hurt. And Winkowski, basically besides Jansen, has been all reliable. And he's been the guy that's just been hammered in his usage. And There tends to be one guy a year who just gets overused and then his arm becomes rubber and basically unusable for the rest of his career. And I I don't want that to be the case with Winkowski, but I'm certainly worried that that is the case. Yeah, for sure.
2: Yeah, it's it's a, it's a little bit startling, the difference uh, in innings pitched between Winkowski and some of the other leverage guys. Uh, Winkowski has thrown 46 and two-thirds innings this season. Uh, Chris Martin, on the other hand, 26 innings. Um, so 20 more than Chris Martin. And uh, Kenley Jansen, 28 and two-thirds. So you know, eighteen innings more than him. Nick Pavetta, since going to the pen, has taken a lot of those um, high leverage innings too, as well. But I mean, he was transitioned a little bit slower to those. He's now starting to take over some of those. He's thrown twenty four innings uh, in relief with a two point six three ERA. So Pavetta's been a whole heck of a lot better as a reliever uh, than he has been as a starter, which is one of the reasons why Cora's. Uh, switching to him, but you know, let me ask you this, Bob. I mean, that's a pretty big gap between guys like Martin and Jansen, and I get that those guys are older, so maybe you're going to stay away from them on back-to-back days and stuff like that. And you know, Martin did go down with the the injury early in the season, but it feels like 20 to 18 innings is a lot more um, than than those other guys, and you know, maybe that's too much of a load for even a young guy.
3: Yeah, I think the All Star break is going to help him. I think that recently, it it was weird. I mean, that game on Saturday, when he threw fifty six pitches in the eighth, going into the eighth inning, I mean, he faced like at least two batters, too many there. Ended up facing thirteen batters. Uh, couldn't throw a strike at the end of it. I mean, fifty six pitches is just pushing him too far. Um, I don't know if he didn't, you know, it was like like that in-between where they ended up going to Jansen for four outs, which they haven't done. Um, so, you know, if you're going to go to somebody else, then they have to throw to three batters before you can bring Jansen in. So, but at the same time, you know, he had pitched on three days rest there. And before that, it was four. And before that, it was four. And um, he's definitely thrown too many innings in the first half. But I think Cora does a decent enough job not using him in back-to-backs. He's done that four times this year. That He's thrown on zero days rest for a total of four innings. Uh, He's thrown him on one day's rest six times for nine innings. It's usually two or three days. That's 13 of his appearances. You know, on two days rest, he's got 10 innings. On three days rest, he's got 12 innings. I think he has to stick to that. Especially if he's going to use him in multiple innings. Um, So... You know maybe he throws once this week get some time off over the all-star break um but i don't know i i I think it's a concern but it's been two bad games he's he's given up two or uh, three runs in two games in this stretch so he's had two bad games um i i think with some time off here he can turn that around they just need to be careful about the time that they give him in between. And they used to do that with Whitlock two years ago. They would throw him, and then they would give him two days off. and But you know they would kind of make the most of those games that he was able to pitch. I just wouldn't throw him 56 pitches.
2: Yeah, I think there is a, a pathway to walk him back from the ledge. I agree with Keaton that if like this type of usage continues in the second half, then his arm's going to be completely toast. But I think the emergence of Pavetta as a weapon... Um, is a good thing for him. And I think some of the names that we mentioned, you know, John Schreiber in particular, working their way back are going to give Cora some more options. And uh, maybe they can acquire somebody. But yeah, it's definitely not a usage pattern that can continue um, through the second half of the year. The Red Sox have only one all-star named to the AL squad. It was Kenley Jansen who got the nomination there. Um, not a starter either, uh, no starters on this team. Was this the right choice uh, for Kenley being the only All-Star? Should, should someone else have been an All-Star? Did anybody get snubbed? Uh, let's start with you, Bob.
3: No, I don't think so. I don't look at this 500 team and think that they absolutely needed multiple All-Stars this year. I think there's a case for Verdugo. I get it. Um, but you know, then you, you look at his numbers and he's hitting 291 with six homers and three steals and he's got the 358 on base percentage. I mean, all stars have just excellent numbers that jump off the page for you. And I think that he was in, you know, when Trout got hurt, was it Julio Rodriguez that I think replaced him? It was either going to be him or Tucker or Verdugo. um, I don't look at Verdugo's numbers and think this guy has to be an all-star. I love the way that he's playing defense. I really like, as a whole, the way that he's played this year, but it doesn't scream all-star to me. Um, yeah, and it's, J-Rod it's and that,
2: Tucker both have higher wars than Verdugo does yeah. as well. Even, even though I think it's fair to say those guys aren't having quite the caliber of year that they had in previous years.
3: Exactly. You know, it's just a shame that we couldn't have gotten... Five more James Paxton starts because that's that's the only other name that I see on there that would have had a shot, but fifty innings isn't enough. Yeah,
2: how about you, Keaton? Any uh, any snubs? Would you make the case for uh, you know maybe maybe Alex Verdugo over some of those other guys, or maybe our our, our guy Yoshi?
1: Uh, actually, Rafael Devers for me. Uh, I don't think third base is particularly strong. I mean, I get. Uh, Jose Ramirez is having a nice little season, but Rafael Devers is also like leading all third baseman in a whole bunch of offensive categories. I know. That's a good point. The average isn't like great, but he also just had like a crazy month of June where he hit like almost 300 and the average is now back up to nearly 260. Um raised it like almost over 20 points. So um, OBP looks fine. Um, I was just surprised given just the weakness of the position that he wasn't even a reserve there. That was surprising to me.
2: Yeah. I, I think that that's probably the name that I would go to as well is, uh, Devers, you know, just because the counting stats have been so good. You mentioned it 20 home runs at the position. That's the most 66 RBIs. That's the most, um, Yeah, the the slash line is a little bit underwhelming, but... But so is everybody else's. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, the other guys who are there are... Who are ahead of him in war. He's ninth in war right now. But guys like Bregman plays better defense. uh, Josh Jung plays better defense. um, Isaac Paredes is having a heck of a year and plays slightly better defense. Matt Chapman, obviously phenomenal defense uh, and Jose Ramirez great defense. Those are the AL guys who are ahead of him in terms of war. I think you can make an argument like Jose Ramirez should start Matt Chapman having a great season, but yeah, I think like he's in that discussion for the second name. Like I think he's, he's squarely in the mix behind Ramirez with the Chapmans and the Jungs and in the Bregmans of the world. I think you could make a case for, for Devers in that regard.
1: Yeah,
0: for sure. So, yeah, I agree. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. 18 plus.
2: Um, Pete Abraham had a tweet earlier, um, and I think that this will fire you up, Bob, for sure. Uh, Red Sox announced that right-handed pitcher Wyatt Mills uh, underwent Tommy John surgery. Uh, he was obtained from KC, uh, and Adalberto Mondesi, also obtained from KC, is still doing rehab on his knee no baseball activities, and he has had surgery 14 months ago. So uh, What? <laughs> what do you think about that, Bob?
3: He was rehabbing by resting cold beer on his knee throughout the long weekend <laughs> and lifting it up every 10 minutes to take a piss.
2: This is unbelievable. We're going to have to get Eric Cross on the podcast just to uh, do a whole episode ranting about Adalberto Mondesi and his
3: uselessness. Yes. The Mondesi episode with a couple of other prospects mixed in.
1: <laughs> I just want to point out that I was like the OG Mondesi hater to the point where like it infuriated other people at, TO, at, at TDG, and like I got cussed out for not liking really? this guy.
3: <laughs> Do you have yes. any receipts? Oh,
2: <laughs> oh yes, yes, I remember I, this. I was yeah. in these chats. It was it well, was our were, friend Jesse Roach who was uh, on the uh, oh boy on the yeah. uh, other side of this but uh yeah I I agree with you I've always hated Mondesi as well so I'm not shocked I think this yeah. this whole podcast is pretty anti Mondesi so uh but but getting back to the shortstop stuff um you know obviously we wanted him to play some sort of a factor there especially with the injury to story but Yu Chang is expected to be activated tomorrow this is per Pete Abraham as well He's likely going to be their starter there every day at shortstop. And Pablo Reyes is also rehabbing. So if anything goes wrong with uh, Yu Chang and, you know, that handmate doesn't uh, cooperate for him to play every day, Pablo Reyes is on the horizon. Not that that's a great solution, but certainly better than watching Kike uh,
3: chuck it into, you know, the the stands. I I think that that the Chang news is... Pretty big news, especially with, like, you know, they've been playing Hamilton there, and he can't make the routine play either. Um, Or hit. Or hit. The only thing he can do is run, and he made a terrible throw tonight on a double play. Uh, He made another throw that could have gotten away that Turner kind of saved him on a double play. Um, You know, if they're going to make adjustments at second base and we're going to talk about... As we talked about with first base and the defense there, if you've got a solid defensive shortstop, you can make adjustments at other positions and get creative. And I think that starts with Chang and J- this week, and it continues into Story. Hopefully, in August, it's going to make a huge difference for the guy that can make the routine play. We haven't seen this in two and a half months. You might not be able to hit, but nobody hit at that position. And I was I won't a little rant surprised. For Twenty minutes about it again, but.
2: I was a little surprised he didn't get activated today with the Bayo start too, considering like what a ground ball guy Bayo is. I thought that sure. would have been a big help, but you know, hopefully, um, no setbacks and does get activated today as you're listening to this show. Moving on to our next segment, a segment that has stressed out Bob quite a bit here, and uh, Keaton and I have no stress about this. We are just shooting straight from the hip. Uh, With this one, but in honor of Bob's favorite holiday, which just passed the 4th of July, we are going to be doing a three round snake draft of the best items um, in the food or drink category to have at a 4th of July cookout. So, to be clear, you know, you can't say something like pool or whatever, it has to be food or drink. Um, And, you know, we're going to just outline those rules right now. Bob, you're on the board. Uh, You you have the first selection, 1-1, in this draft. It's going to be Bob Keaton, then myself. And since it's Snake, I'll pick three and four. So let's go ahead and get started with our three rounds. Bob, what's your first pick, the must-have item, to have at a 4th of July cookout?
3: Okay, so I'm I'm trying to picture, you know, if there is an item that, that is not at the cookout, not at the barbecue that you are at, something that you just can't come back from. You can't survive. You need to go make a trip. And that is a stocked cooler full of cold beer, ice cold beer, pounds and pounds of ice on top of it. Um, now maybe if you don't drink beer, that could be uh, a soda or a seltzer or something along those lines. You know, I don't want to just for, you know, for me, that would be cold beer. Um, but if, if you're at a July 4th barbecue outside on a nice day, you got to have that stocked cooler full of beer in my mind. So, uh, you know, even, even if we're going with no food and we have to order the, uh, what was that app you were talking about earlier, Keaton? Go Puff. We got to Go Puff some Band-Aids and, um, you know, Buffalo Chicken Crispers from 7-Eleven, something along those lines. But if we don't have the beer, we're in serious trouble.
2: I think that's a good one, one right there. I I have a follow-up question though to to the beer question. Do you have a particular type of beer that makes you think of Fourth of July, or is it sort of anything goes for you?
3: No, it's dependent on the year. It's
2: it's Bud Heavy America cans.
3: (laughs) There was a lot of uh, you know the High Noon Corona Light. Type action this year so that's what i'll go with because that's that's fresh in my head
2: okay keaton you're on the board with uh number two i feel like i'm getting a
1: steal here with the second pick because in in the whole song of the all american things uh i don't believe beer appears however uh the very first consumable that appears in the lyrics is hot dogs.
2: Ah, uh, I was hoping it would go to it would make it to three.
1: No, good. No pick. fucking way. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet. I don't hear beer there, but hot dogs are there. And I I feel similar to Bob. If you show up to the Fourth of July cookout, there's no hot dogs. You're like, what the fuck's going on here?
2: Yeah, you. Need so I can't hot believe dogs. I got that at pick two. Yeah, I I think you know hot dog is. Hot dog is as iconic as it gets. So yeah, I'm I'm with you there. What's what's on your Fourth of July hot dog, Keaton? If you're building a nice uh nice wiener uh, or, you know, let me let me ask you this, Keaton, as a mainer, are you you getting a red snapper there too?
1: Of course. I was actually gonna bring that up. Um Yeah, no, my hot dogs are red. And I know that freaks people out. Um, but I don't care. I like my scary red hot dogs.
2: And what are you putting on those scary red dogs? Just ketchup. Ooh, that's an insane take. I don't like. It I at am all. a white boy, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we well, have plenty of white Chicago boys as well. Are uh, are are putting uh, all all manner of junk no, on this. All right. So dogs. I know
1: that I live in Chicago, and I'm like the worst Chicagoan. But the Chicago hot dogs are fucking stupid. There's it's the ten pounds of shit that you don't need on a hot
2: dog. It's absurd. Yeah, I agree. But you know what you do need on your hot dog? Mustard and onions. That's it. That's where it stops. Mustard, onions. If you want to add a little bit of relish, that's fine. But you need Ugh. mustard and onions. That's the move. All I right. the mustard. You need the mustard on there. Oh, a little raw onion. You need it. Uh, I've got the next two picks here. Um, not, not easy selections, but I'm going to go with uh, the cheeseburger. Right. Uh, for my my third pick or my first pick here in the, the first round, um, cheeseburger, just sort of when I think of America, I think of cheeseburgers. Um, it is sort of the iconic American food. I do agree that a hot dog is uh, the better 4th of July food, but if you're going to have dogs, you got to have burgers as well. And I went with cheeseburger because I think it's slightly psychotic when people don't put cheese on their uh, burgers. Are either of you two like straight hamburger guys? No, I agree. Uh, no. It is rather psychotic. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, good. A little extra cheese. And with my next pick, first selection of round two, I'm going to go with a dessert here, and it's probably not a dessert that many people thought I would go with, but I'm going to go with s'mores oh, because when you're when you're at a Fourth of July cookout. And it turns to nighttime and you're about to watch the fireworks and you get that fire going in the backyard and you start roasting marshmallows and and you get the chocolate bar and everything. I I think the s'more is just the stereotypical like best dessert that you can have during the summertime. So for me, you got to have a s'more on the 4th of July.
1: And ever since Sandlot, forever associated with baseball.
2: There you go. There you go. All right, Keaton, you're up next.
1: I also have a, uh, a dessert, but it's, uh, it's not a typical dessert, so I'm going to save it for my last pick. But uh, do need a drink to wash down my hot dogs. So I'm going to go with uh, Arnold Palmer because I feel like – Ooh, I love that. It's, uh, it's the best of both worlds of the non-alcoholic summer drinks. Got the lemonade. You got the iced tea. Sweet tea there, plop them both in a glass, and classic. Fantastic
2: pick. Love that.
3: Did you say that's the, the best non-alcoholic drink? Because i I would have to agree with that. I did, yes. That's a solid take.
2: All right, Bob. What you got?
3: Oh, God. All right. I, got the I thought snake. you
1: did, like, a ton of prep for this.
3: I, I, I've got three options, and these are my last two picks, right? Yep. A ton of fucking pressure. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go <laughs> with the... Uh, I'm going to go sausage and potato salad. Okay, those are solid. On you the side or on
1: top of the sausage?
3: Cold beer, sausage, and potato salad. I can have a good cookout no matter what. Um couple others that i can't believe haven't been picked yet but it's what i'm gonna go with I need some spice on there you know some jalapeno cheddar or hot italian sausage something along those lines uh, potato salad on the side um yeah I, I feel confident in both of those there's something i feel like is missing but that's okay we'll see if one of you two take it
2: okay it's a good pick right there Love the potato salad. Love a good sausage. Keaton, you're up next.
1: All right. With my last pick, you know, I got my main. I got my drink. So a little dessert to finish it off. I'm going to go with the, I feel like this is pretty classic and also underrated. But uh, it's the American flag cake that you make with the blueberries and strawberries. You know? Yes. You guys ever have that?
3: yes i have i know what you're talking about yep
1: yeah had to find a way to work blueberries in there and that was that had to be it uh, but i feel like just like it's a nice little dessert fun little design got some awesome fruit the bloobs obviously classic main uh so i feel like that was that was a classic dessert that we had on our fourth of july so that was a fun little flag cake okay i love
2: like that. it that's a good one um, I feel like I'm going to disappoint Bob uh, here uh, and, and go with something a little bit off the reservation. Um, but, you know, America is the land of, of the free. It's a beautiful country. We have a lot of different food cultures here. And I think the most American of all food cultures is barbecue, slow-cooked barbecue. And, uh, you know when I think of the 4th of July, I usually think of grilling, but I have to give an ode to barbecue. And I think the, the greatest barbecue food of all time are barbecue ribs. So I'm going to go with ribs for my last yeah. selection here. Love that. Oh, pick. Awesome. Awesome. What, what do we leave out Bob? Because you know, that, that wraps it up for us here. We've got a pretty good cookout. We've got beer, hot dogs, cheeseburgers, s'mores, Arnold Palmer's, sausage, potato salad, American flag cake, and ribs. I want to go to this cookout.
3: This is a really good cookout. I'm going to that cookout.
2: (laughs) What are we missing here? Fireworks.
3: Steak tips and baked beans. Oh,
2: yeah. Those are good ones. Those are really good ones.
3: Baked beans so you can really gas it up on the 5th of July. Um (laughs) I don't. I, I gotta have steak tips if I'm bringing nine items to a barbecue, personally.
2: We we had steak tips at the barbecue I was at uh, this weekend, so
3: yeah. Yeah, but you know what? If I if if those weren't there and barbecue ribs were there instead, I I would allow that. Yeah.
1: I was gonna say we were missing um, fireworks while America the Beautiful plays and we run around the bases in slow motion.
3: There we go. Love it. (laughs) Let's make it happen.
2: So that's our cookout. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, We've got a couple more listener questions here before we get out of here. Uh, South has two questions. Um, He says, uh, if an underperforming player is as often requested fired into the sun, how soon will he start burning once he leaves the Earth's atmosphere? And how close to the sun does he actually have to be? Keaton, I know that you did a little research here and have an answer. Yeah. Yeah,
1: this is, this is fun. So I got some help from my good friends over at Popular Science and I have the exact answer to this question, which is quite interesting. And it actually depends on if they are uh, fired into the sun. Um, like my first thought was probably like cartoon style and like a giant slingshot. Um, and it's just them like loosely hurtling through space, right? But I would assume that they are in a, at least in a spacesuit. So uh, just <laughs> a human in a spacesuit f- freely twirling towards space. Uh, the sun is like 93 million miles away from Earth. And so uh, you can actually get pretty damn close. Um, as a uh, s- typical NASA space suit can handle heats uh, up to 248 degrees, uh, which is a lot. Um, but you essentially could get um, 3 million miles away from the sun before uh, the temperature inside the space suit would become too much and you would burn up and cook. Um, I mean, almost essentially instantly, like, vaporized within the suit at about uh, 3 million miles away. Now, you can get even closer, uh, just a few thousand miles away, if you're in a rocket hurtling towards the sun, which I imagine in this scenario uh, wouldn't be the case because we're talking about, like, an underperforming player. I don't know if we want to give them, like, the satisfaction of being in a rocket and, like basically just positioning towards the sun and letting him go i think it's like it is giant cartoon slingshot style right
2: i was thinking i was thinking a big slingshot too yeah yeah I, I think that's it but you know the other thing is before you get too close you'd be completely blinded by the sun too so you wouldn't be able to see the sun at all which i feel like is a cool part of getting fired into the sun <laughs> well i mean even before you get blinded um yeah
1: because of cosmic radiation, you actually wouldn't even get halfway there and you would be uh, radioactive to, to death <laughs> due to the radiation you yeah so you wouldn't you would actually die because of the radiation exposure well before you burned up.
2: would you uh, would you also freeze to death in the cold dark abyss of space before you got too too close to it?
1: I think, actually, you would
2: starve. Oh, okay. Well, this sounds horrible, so...
3: Yeah. Uh, would you rather be yeah. in that or uh, that uh, a submarine heading towards the Titanic? I thought, okay, so, I thought
2: you were going to ask me if you'd rather be that or an A's fan.
1: So, I thought that was where you were going to go, only because... <laughs> I had this exact conversation with my, with my girlfriend, and she brought up, like... It feels not like necessarily this scenario of being like slingshotted towards the sun, but would you feel safer doing like a deep sea exploration or an exploration into space? And I was like, I think I would feel safer in space, even though we've been exploring the ocean for hundreds of years longer than we've been exploring space. Just the thought of like. I agree. The technology involved, it just like space seems like a much safer option than the ocean.
3: I don't know why I agree, but I do, Keen. Right? It doesn't seem nuts. I've been in the air. I haven't been that far underwater. We've been
1: exploring the ocean for hundreds of years, and we've been exploring space for like 60.
2: (laughs) I mean, both both things can kill you real fast. So So can the A's. Yeah. All right. Well, the second one here from SoxSouth, South, and I'm proud of proud of you both. You better be seriously. happy with that answer. I'm very. I'm extremely happy with that answer. I hope he is too. He says uh, he needs some advice um, with with uh, the odds of Duval or Kike being dealt at the deadline, and whether or not we are contenders. So Bob. Will Duval and or Kike be dealt at the deadline and are the Sox contenders?
3: Yeah, I read that as whether they're contenders or not is somebody going. So are they going if they're contenders regardless? And I think the answer is yes. I think somebody, one of those two is gone. If you're contenders, it's for another position of need, which is probably pitching. And if you're not, they're both expiring at the end of the year, and you'd be foolish not to trade them. So I'll say one is gone if they're contenders, and both are gone if they're not. Um, but again, if Duval's hitting 150 uh, for the rest of this month again, then I don't know what that's going to bring you back. So, But either way, you're going to want Duran to play, you're going to want Cassis to play at that point if you're not contenders, and I don't see what benefit they have on the team.
2: Yeah. All right. Yeah, I agree. Our last question of the day comes from Jeff Wax and he says number 1 what nicknames does Mrs. Heim Bloom call her husband? Keaton you got any nicknames for Mr. Mr. Bloom from his Mrs? Nope, I'm not touching that one. <laughs> Bob, you want to touch this one?
3: The procrastinator.
2: <laughs> the procrastinator.
3: Yep. Uh waste yeah. the last minute to do everything. He's yeah, going to make a know? trade at Whenever the deadline is three fifty nine on July thirty first, one way or another.
2: You know what I'm gonna go with the the value adder. Uh, you ever see those commercials where um, they're like for Xfinity and the the guy and the girl are sitting down in the therapy room and they're talking about like how they ruined their family by choosing like bad internet access. I feel like Heimblum might make some of those decisions too so maybe it works maybe that would be it um his second question says if paxton and Bayo combined for 60 wins this season do the Sox make the playoffs uh 60 wins that's that's too many well i mean if they're going a three-man rotation they
1: realize (laughs) i
3: already outlined how this is going to happen so yes
2: (laughs) okay Good. And and the third one here is, who gets to the Hall of Fame first, Caleb Ort or Connor Wong? I don't understand this. I like Connor Wong.
3: Yeah,
2: Yeah. well, I I think (laughs) if if I am misreading it and he says Hall of Shame, then it would be Caleb Ort. But yes, if it's the Hall of Fame, it's definitely Connor Wong. Yeah. All right, well, that's the way to end it. I already have a text from my wife saying that s'mores was an insane pick. Um, but you know what? I'm standing by it. I love s'mores. So you know what? Next time I roast I don't some think s'mores, it was a bad pick. I'm not going to give her any marshmallows. So there we go.
3: As long as we're not doing a Thanksgiving draft, I'll allow this.
2: That we're absolutely doing it. This is a way draft. better meal than Thanksgiving, by the way. Of course
3: it is.
1: Yeah. It's a way that's better holiday. We have to do a Thanksgiving draft. All right. What's the next holiday? We're doing a Halloween candy draft next. Ooh, I'm that's a good
2: Draft the cranberry sauce. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you yeah, guys but for joining us. from a can or us... homemade, Bob. Oh, you gotta get
1: the ask can, the man.
3: stuffing. Gotta get yeah, the yeah, but can. from a can
1: or homemade, Bob.
3: I don't give a shit. <laughs>
2: All right. Well, We'd go puff both. We're we're really losing the thread here. You can find us <laughs> on Twitter. You can find Keaton at the Spoken Keats. You can find Bob at, at Bob Oz Good Fifteen. You can find me at Dev Jake, and you can follow all of our writings at OverTheMonster.com. We do appreciate you, and we will be with you next week.